All right, church. Well, what a special morning uh, it is that we get the chance to gather together as a family and celebrate our great God who has given us the greatest gift we could have ever have hoped for. Uh, by entering into creation, he has given us himself. And so we want to celebrate that this morning. Uh, we want to enjoy that this morning, that creator has entered into creation. And not only by doing that has God made a way for us to be reconciled to him, but he has made a way for us to be reconciled to one another. And so not only is this morning a special morning because Christmas is a couple days away, we're sitting at tables, right? This is all new. We're sharing a meal together. All those things are pretty cool. Uh, but this morning is also special because our preschoolers are with us this morning, okay? And so if you are a preschooler that you're in here in big church, can you raise your hand? Preschoolers, where are you at? Yeah, preschoolers. Can we welcome them? Can we give them a round of applause? Preschoolers, we are glad you guys are in here with us this morning. It's making this morning uh, extra special. And so preschoolers, I want you to do something for me, okay? Preschoolers, I want you to look at your mom or at your dad, okay? Preschoolers, look at your mom or your dad, and I want you to repeat after me, okay? I want you to say, just so you know, I'm going to have some wiggles. I'm not used to sitting this long. My bladder is not fully developed. I might need a break halfway through. But then preschoolers, tell your parents this, okay? Tell your parents this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Tell them, tell them, all right, look at your parents. Tell them, Jax, Jamin, Jordy, and Joel have prepared Pastor Grant for such a time as this, okay? This is my element, so it's good. So everyone, just relax. Parents of preschoolers, relax. We understand this morning there's going to be extra energy, wiggles, noise, restlessness, and that is okay, all right? We are want to, wanting to enjoy this time together as a family. So let me pray. We'll jump into our message, and uh, we'll continue our worship together. Father, we do thank you for this morning, and God, as we approach your word, I do ask that I would get out of the way and that you would speak to us. Help me not be a distraction, Lord. Um, help this be a time where you truly do teach us and transform us, God. And so we ask that, that, that by this power of your spirit, that you would empower these words, Lord, as they go forth to change our hearts, to stir up a love for you and for one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are in the final part of our Advent series, which we've called We Believe. We Believe. And because in this series, we've been learning that, that really it is what we believe about God, not just necessarily what we know about God, right? We know a lot of things about God, but it is what we believe about God that is going to lead us to experience hope, peace, joy, and love. And so we've been talking about each of those each different week. And in an attempt to help us understand what we believe about God, and in addition to preaching from Scripture like we always do, we've also been learning and reciting the Apostles' Creed together. And so I once again want to explain that a little bit, because that's something that a lot of us, we weren't used to growing up doing, uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed together. It's still sort of new for us to do. And we're not going to do it every week, but in this series, we have been doing it every week so that we can start to learn uh, how this creed points us to truths from Scripture. And one reason that we do want to recite a creed every now and then together is because something strange has been happening uh, amongst especially American Christians, okay, American evangelical Christians in these last 100 years. 
And what has started to happen is that, that we've started to ask the question, what is the bare minimum that someone has to believe in order to be a Christian? Okay, this is what we've started to ask these last 100 years in America amongst Christians. What is the bare minimum that we have to believe in order to be a Christian? And so churches who have started to prioritize church growth over church health, which church growth is a good thing, but when you prioritize it over church health, you start to ask the question over and over, what is the bare minimum someone can believe to be a Christian. And so we've pursued then routes of evangelism and discipleship that are based upon the foundation of what's the very least, like what's the, the least amount that someone has to know and be a follower of Jesus? What's the least amount someone has to know and be a Christian? And so we started asking questions like, does someone just need to ask Jesus into their heart? Or do we just need someone to walk an aisle and repeat a prayer? Or do we just need to emotionally manipulate someone to get them to the baptismal? And so for years, you know, some churches have started to water down the glorious truth of the gospel as we've prioritized church growth over church health. And so as a result, as a result of asking the question, what is the bare minimum we must teach someone to believe to be saved? The result of that question is that many people have been left hungering for more. We've been left hungering for more. And I've said this before, I don't think the main problem right now in the church in America is complacency. I think you can look at us at first and you can say, hey, it seems like we're complacent. But when you really start to dig deep and try to find the underlying diagnosis, I don't think it's that we're complacent. I think it's we are malnourished. We're malnourished. And a starving person does not need to be hyped up or motivated. A starving person does not need Youth Group 2.0. A starving person needs the deep truths of God's Word. We need to be fed. We need to be fed. But what we've been seeing is that, by and large, most Christians in America, we do not know what we believe. We don't know what we believe. We're not grounded in biblical truth. And so, as a result, we have no idea how to have hope in life. We have no idea how to have joy or peace or love in life. Like we, we thought Jesus just got us out of hell, right? We thought Jesus just got us our get out of hell free card. We thought Jesus just kept us pure till marriage. We thought Jesus just helped us say no to drugs. But church, you got to know. Jesus came so that yes, sins would be removed, but ultimately that hearts would be changed. Jesus came so that, yes, we would confess our sin, but that ultimately we would repent and turn from our sin. Jesus came, yes, so that we could have a relationship with God, but he came so that we could have a relationship with his people, the church. The goal of the Great Commission was never how many people got dunked. It was how many people got discipled. And so church, in an attempt to understand and to grow deeper into what we believe, we are going to once again recite the creed together. And I know we kind of just all got settled in, but I'm going to actually, I'm going to have you guys stand up again. And if some of you, if you need to adjust chairs so that you're not straining your neck too much, feel free to do that too, okay? Uh, but we're going to recite the creed one more time together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. 
On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, We will have the scriptures up on the screen as well. But as you're turning there, let me catch you up a little bit about what has been going on in Hebrews chapter 10, leading up to where we're going to be at this morning, mainly focused on verses 24 and 25. So the writer of Hebrews, leading up to these verses that we're about to talk about, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about how the Old Testament law was a shadow of the things to come. Mentions how how the sacrifices and the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was a reminder for people of their sin, and it was a reminder of their need for a substitutionary sacrifice. But he points out in Hebrews that it was ultimately, ultimately the blood of bulls and goats did not actually take away sins, but they were pointing to something better. They were pointing to someone better who was to come. They were pointing to Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the rescuer, the anointed one, the one that since humanity fell into sin, it had been written that one would come to undo everything that Adam and sin had undone. And Jesus, who had come as God in the flesh, when he willingly gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross, it was a once and for all sufficient sacrifice for the sins of his people. And we believe that he did not stay dead long, but on the third day he rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us so that we would now have confidence to enter into the presence of God and to experience the fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore that are in the presence of the Lord. We can now draw near with full assurance of faith, our consciences sprinkled clean, our sins forgiven. Hebrews 10 leading up to this says, we can hold fast to God because what does verse 23 say? It says, for he who promised is faithful. We can hold fast to God because he has held fast to us. We can embrace God because he has embraced us. Praise God. We could probably stop there, but I want you to get your money's worth. So in verse 24, here we go. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, I hope over the last few weeks, and even in me kind of recapping some of Hebrews 10, my hope and prayer is that you would have seen the love of God on display in coming to earth and giving us himself. What a great and beautiful gift that is, that because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, that we get God. We get to forever live in the presence of God. But this morning, you also have to see God's love on display and not only giving us himself, but he has demonstrated his love to us by giving us one another. One another. And what a special Sunday this is, right? Where you can actually look across the table and see one another. That is evidence of God's love on display. 
You see, when God created the world, you remember in the beginning, by the power of his word, when he spoke everything from nothing, when he commanded nothing to be something, and the nothingness obeyed, right? When he started creating light, and he separated night and day, and he created land and animals and birds and fish, what was the first thing that God said was not good? It was for man to be alone. For man to be alone. Which makes sense, right? I mean, if human beings are created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have eternally existed in perfect community with one another, then it would make sense that human beings, you and I, we are created for community. We are created for community. We are created to belong. God said it was not good for us to be alone. And so I want us to to think back to the creed to understand God's love for us and making sure that we are not alone, okay? So this is kind of the last section of the creed. We read, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints. We have to see the patient and present love of God in the sending and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit. Let's start there. The Holy Spirit is often the misunderstood and therefore avoided person of the Trinity, right? Most of us in response to some of the abuses that or misuses of the Holy Spirit that we see, whether on TV or just we hear about in other places, a lot of because of that, we just try to avoid the Holy Spirit. Let's just not talk about him. We're not really sure, you know, how to make sense of all this Holy Spirit stuff. But as a result, that that has been to our own detriment, okay? A.W. Tozer said this, he said, because we have shut out the Holy Spirit in so many ways, we are stumbling along as though we are spiritually blindfolded. Spiritually blindfolded when we shut out the Holy Spirit. But when we recite the creed, right, we're saying we believe, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Meaning we believe that God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is not just a force, but He is a person. And we believe that then each person of the Trinity is distinct from the others, and yet also inseparable from the others. And so through the creed, we've already said we believe in the Father Almighty, right? Creator of heaven and earth. And yet we know the Son and the Spirit were intimately involved in creation as well. We've said we believe in the Son, right? The Son of God who is, who's saved us and redeemed us, and yet we know the Father and the Spirit were intimately involved in our redemption as well. And so now we, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit who is now recreating us, sanctifying us, regenerated our hearts, and is making us more and more into the image of Christ. And yet we know the Father and the Son are intimately involved in our sanctification as well. Three distinct persons who are inseparable from, the, from one another. That is our great God. It's hard to get our minds around that, right? It kind of hurts. It gives us a headache. But that is our great God. And we must not neglect the Holy Spirit due to the misuse that we might see by others. We must not shut out the Holy Spirit or we will be spiritually blindfolded. Because we know that Jesus called the Holy Spirit our guide right? In John 16, 13, we've got it up on the screen. Jesus called the Holy Spirit our guide. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus then goes on, and he also calls the Holy Spirit our helper and our teacher, 
We see this in John 14, verse 26. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. And then we know that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what produces fruit in a believer's life, right? We read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, how it produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And not only does the Spirit produce fruit in our lives, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit also gives gifts to believers to be used for God's glory and our good to build up the body of Christ. And he empowers us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So guys, we have, to, we have to see how faithful and good the love of God is to not leave us all alone, but to be ever present with us in sending his spirit to dwell inside us, right? The spirit now dwells, empowers, guides, helps, teaches. But not only has God given us himself, not only has God given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but he has given us one another. So if we think back to the creed, we read, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church. Now some versions of the creed, kind of back in the day, right, that, that word universal, it was actually the holy Catholic church. Okay, so let's talk about that. The word Catholic means universal. When the writers wrote the creed, they were not, when they used the word Catholic, they were not necessarily thinking of Roman Catholic, right? They were trying to describe the universal church, the capital C, universal church, not Franklin City Church, not our little denominations or local churches, but we're talking about Jesus's church, the universal church. And so that's why to avoid confusion, uh, uh, some modern versions of the creed use the holy universal church. We read after that, the communion of saints. The communion of saints. And here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. This is what is getting lost in our understanding of what church is. Some of you guys, you've probably seen uh, the John Christ video about virtual reality church. Has anyone else seen this on Facebook or social media or anything? Okay, so for those of you that don't know, John Christ, he's a, uh, he's a comedian that posts some satirical videos, kind of in all, in all good sport, like poking some fun at, at Christians in America, which is, I, I think at times, good for us. It, you know, we have to be able to laugh at ourselves uh, sometimes. There are some funny things that we do, but he, he posted the, the most recent video was called Virtual Reality Church, okay? And the video starts out with him asking the question. He asks, are you tired of having to wake up get dressed and drive across town just to attend your favorite service, right? Like, that's hard, right? I get it. It's hard. Sunday morning, it's hard to get dressed, get out of bed, like to get to church. And then he goes on, he says, well, look no further than virtual reality church, right? And he puts kind of the, the virtual reality goggles on. And then when you got the goggles on, you can like pick the denomination. Depending on the denomination, that's like how formal you get dressed. You know, if it's non-denominational, you're, you know, you wear like plaid or outdoor plaid like I have on, right? So you kind of like, depending on what denomination, that's what you dress. And then, then you can select the introvert option, which totally bypasses the greeters and hospitality 
team, right? You can just kind of avoid that. And then you get to, and this is all, right, poking fun. It's all a joke, right? Then he's like saying, well, and then you can even pick your worship leader. You can pick the songs that you want to sing, and you can tailor like the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans, right? So they can be, you know, skinny, <laughs> skinny jeans, super skinny jeans, and then just like extra, it should never be that skinny jean, right? And so you get to pick those. And then for the sermon time, you get to pick the level of conviction you want, right? So from zero to five, if you're not really wanting to be convicted that day, then it'll kind of pick what pastor that you want, that that the, the church then plays for you. And the video then closes with the comment, finally an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Which is funny. It's a funny video, and yet at the end of it, you're like, like there's a lot of truth in that, right? It's also kind of sad. And so he's kind of gently convicting us of some things because, you see, we can tend to think that church is just a worship gathering or it's just a worship service, and we forget that the church is a people. It is a people that we are to be in relationship with. It is the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints. Listen, if church, if church is just four K-Love songs and a motivational talk, we are missing out on some of the depth and the richness and the goodness that God has in mind to faithfully love us and give us this thing called the church a communion of saints, a community of believers that lives in relationship with one another. When the Bible talks about the church, it's not talking about a building. It's not talking about a service. It's talking about a people, a people. And it is this community of believers that we are not to neglect because God, out of his faithful love for us, has provided us this group of people as a means for him to care for us and teach us, and sanctify us, and love us, and encourage us. So look at Hebrews 10, verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now to stir up, it means means to stimulate or to provoke. Okay? Now, not the provoke. When, usually when we think of provoke, we think of it as in a negative connotation. All right? This is a, a positive provoking or stirring up or stimulating. Okay? It's stirring us up to something good. It's stirring us up to love and good works. Right? Verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. But how are we to do this? Look no further than verse 25. By not neglecting to meet together, but instead encouraging one another. You see, the reason this is so important and why the Bible would command for believers to not neglect meeting together, it's because there is something supernatural and miraculous. There's something supernatural and miraculous that happens when two or more people who have the Spirit of God living inside them, when they get together. Like something miraculous happens. I had this happen to me a few times this week. 
Um, it's always it's always funny when you're preparing to preach. Uh, God usually like brings some things about that week to to uh, teach you like what you're learning through the, the scripture, uh, which is why I, I very much regretted preaching First uh, Peter last fall. It's all about hardships and suffering and stuff. That was not a, a wise route to go. Uh, but as I thought about like what happens when believers get together, this happened where I, I, I met someone that I had never met before. But quickly into the conversation, they asked me if I was a believer. And I said, yes. And we started talking about our faith and what we've been learning and what church we go to and all this stuff. And we walked away from the conversation really charged up and encouraged, right? At least I did. They might've walked away like, man, that guy's a weirdo. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming they left the conversation as encouraged as I was, right? But you know those times when you come into contact with someone and you leave the time charged up. It's like two rocks, like, hitting together and sparks start flying. It's like a balloon like rubbing against your hair, right? Your hair is just like, all right, let's do this, right? It's charged up. It's ready to go. This is what should be happening when believers gather together, whether it be on a Sunday morning or at a city group or at a coffee shop or out at a park or, or wherever we might be and gather with one another. This is what should be happening. We should be stirring one another up. The spirit dwelling inside of us, it charges one another up. Now, if you've been in the church longer than a week, you've probably seen the good and the bad of when believers come together, right? We're supposed to bring out the best in one another, to sharpen one another, but if we can be honest, sometimes we bring out the worst, and some of you have maybe tried, you know, living in true community with people in the past, but you've been burned. You've had some things go really wrong with that. And so now you just don't want to be in community at all. You just avoid it altogether. You know what? I tried that. I tried to be real. I tried to be in community, but I got burned. And listen, there are a lot of reasons for why community goes wrong in the church, but it's ultimately because of sin. While believers, while we are free from the enslavement and the oppression of sin, we all still sin. And so church, just like any other gathering of people in the world, it can still be prone to get messy. Things can go wrong and people can get hurt. But one of the reasons that this happens is because there are a lot of well-intentioned brothers and sisters who have a desire to stir one another up They've got good intentions to stir one another up. But brothers and sisters, some of your stirring feels like punching. It does, right? Like, have you ever tried to stir something that's like really hard to stir and your hand just slips off and you just start hitting all the people around you? This is what some brothers and sisters in the church have done. They've been well-intentioned. They've wanted to stir one another up. But they've been hurting people in the process. They've been punching people. They haven't been stirring people up. One of my professors in college, he said this, and I'll never, never forget it. He said, only when our grace is felt will our truth be heard. So let me say that again, because I know a lot of you guys have a lot of truth that needs to be heard, but only when our grace is felt will our truth be heard. Only when our grace is felt will our truth be heard. I believe he's getting at the truth in Romans 15, 17, which says, 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Most of us, when we heard about the truth of God's word, when we heard about the truth of the gospel, what really, when did we actually really hear it? It was when we felt his grace. We experienced his grace. And then his truth was heard. Jesus saw our problems. He saw the state that we were in. And out of his free and sovereign love and grace, he entered into the mess that we made. He he took our problems and he said, your problems are now my problems, right? When he entered into the world as a baby in Bethlehem, he was showing us his love by being present with us. You want to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Be present with one another, right? He humbled himself, took on the form of man to be present with his people. We have to be present with one another, okay? We have to show up. And this isn't just on a Sunday morning or a city group or things like that, but when we know that people are hurting, when we know that that people are, are going through some things, we might not always know what to say, but we just need to be present with them, right? We need to sit with the person that's hurting, and I think there's not, no better example of this than at, than at a funeral, right? When you've gone to a funeral, it's no fun to go to a funeral, especially if it's a, a younger person or an unexpected death. But it's always a little awkward to go to a funeral, right? Because you think, man, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know, I don't know what words to give to comfort this person. But then what you actually find is it's really not your words it's, at all. It's just you being present there, Right? Isn't that encouraging to the family who's just lost a loved one? It's you being present there. Be present. And in the same way, church, your presence with one another is an encouragement to people. It charges them up. Show up and be present with people. And if you want to still be obedient to Romans 15, 7, which says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, not only do we need to be present with one another, but we need to be patient with one another. Okay? Listen, we only know a fraction of how patient God has been with us. And if he has been so incredibly patient with us, who are we not to be patient with one another? I mean, read any of the Gospels and watch Jesus leading and teaching his disciples. I I, I think at first when we see the disciples over and over just like not getting this, like the truth is just not, he's like telling them things and they're not getting it, right? What's our first response? Our first response is to say, man, like what's going on with the disciples? Like what's, why aren't they getting this, right? But don't miss in those interactions what we should actually be glorifying God about is, man, Jesus is patient with his people. Jesus is patient with his people. And in this season of Advent that we are in, right, we've talked about how it's celebrating Jesus's first Advent, but it's also a longing and a waiting for his second Advent when he will return to make all things new and right all wrongs. In this season where we are longing for him, we can start to become frustrated and think that God is just being slow, right? 
Like, why is this, why are we having to long for so many years? Like every Christmas after Christmas, we are longing for his return. Is God just being slow? Has he forgotten us? And the truth is, from 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's love has been ever present and patient with us. And so as we love one another, let us be present and patient with one another. And I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I'll invite the worship team to come on back up here. Um, this is an old story about, about a pastor who visited one of his church members who had stopped attending. And uh, he goes into the guy's house, and the guy's sitting by a fire, uh, and, and the church member says, Pastor, why do I need to go to church? I mean, I have my Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm fine just sitting by my fire on a Sunday morning, sipping some coffee, enjoying the Word, and enjoying the Lord all by myself. Why must I go to church? And the story goes that the pastor walked over to the fireplace, and he took the fire poker, and he separated out all the logs. And the fire quickly went away. Now, that was a drop the mic moment, but I think it was before the microphone was even invented, okay? But what he was trying to illustrate was that, yes, the logs on their own, they might burn some on their own, but when they are together, something extraordinary Something miraculous happens. They produce a fire that warms the whole house. We believe that God did not create us to be alone, but to dwell in communion with him and his people. And through the work of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is applying that work to our hearts. We are being recreated. And although perfect community with God and with one another, it does not yet fully exist we believe that as a people, as we are being formed and shaped more and more for the life everlasting where we will dwell one day in perfect communion with God and with his people. And all because of the ever-present and perfect faithful love of God. Let me, let me pray. We'll close.